0: on we're better together so better together this new series that i'm starting we're going to increase in unity and as we increase in unity it gives us a greater influence and a greater impact in our community when shay and i um, we graduated I, i had gone to seminary i was waiting on her to graduate from college and uh, we took our first full-time ministry position at this little country church uh, named Blanton Grove Church of God, and uh, it was a country church. It was in the middle of the country. Beautiful church, had lots of money. <laughs> what a great church, you know, had lots of money. Uh, they, all of their stuff, they just renovated stuff all the time and uh, had been there for like, Decades and decades and decades. And so we go there to be their youth pastor. And one of the things that we would do is we would raise money for different things, missions and whatnot. And I don't even remember what we were raising money for. But they had this thing that they did every year. And they would uh, go from our town, our little area, which it wasn't a town. Where we were, we lived in the outskirts of the town. So we lived out in the country. That's where our church was. And then Shay and I lived further out in the country about, I think, about six miles further in the boondocks. We didn't even live on a paved road, y'all. Like our road was clay, uh, dirt, you know, that red clay, Georgia clay. And so the next little town over was called Odom, Georgia. And every year they had this fundraiser that they would do with the youth and all of our youth leaders, and we would ride from the church to Odom. And we called it a -a bike-a-thon. Remember those? Like we would get money and raise money. And uh, so Glenn and Harold would, uh, for every mile we went, for 11 miles, they're going to, you know, give me uh, $5 per mile or whatever. And So, Shay, she worked at this little Christian school, and she said, She came home one day and she said, I've got an incredible idea. Um, Her, I think it was the teacher at her school, or maybe the administrator, but she's got a tandem bike, a a two seated bike. And she said, This is going to be awesome. We can, you know, team up and we can do this. And I'm like, Okay, I've never ridden a tandem bike before. And so we get this bike. I'm telling you, this bike looked like if there had been bikes in the Bible, this bike would have been in the Bible. It was so old and rusty and decrepit. And uh, so we get on this bike. Now, everybody else has their little bikes, and we're the only people in the group that has this tandem bike. And Shay's like, it's going to be awesome, you know, teaming up, too, for the power the power of two for one, you know, and everything, and so we get on there, and so 11 miles, I don't know how far it is from here to Fairhope, you know, but it's, I don't even think it's 11 miles from here to Fairhope, so anyway, you just imagine, you're going 11 miles on a bike trip, so we're carving the day out to do this thing, and uh, thank God we didn't have to come back, (laughs) we went there, had a picnic, and then somebody picked us up in pickup trucks, and while we're out there, man, we're on a country road. I mean, you don't see anything for miles. Cars, you know, you don't see cars out there or anything, and that's why we chose that road. And I'm like, man, we're paddling. And I'm like, oh my God, my legs are like spaghetti. And I'm, I mean, man, I'm like, this is so hard. I'd pull over and I'm like, I am. Dying, and you know, we'd have to stop. We're the holdup on the trip now. We're the holdup on the trip. Everybody's stopping on their little two, uh, their little single seater bike and everything. And I'm looking back and I'm like, you know, asking her, we're pulled over. And I'm like, I am, this is wearing me out. I'm in terrible shape, you know? And she's like, oh, it's, you know, come on, we can do it. Let's do it. And I'm like, this is embarrassing. So, like, man, we get out on there and I'm serious like I'm going God just come now in all of your glory and take me to heaven because I cannot do this like we've still got three miles to go and I am dying and I look back and she's got both of her legs up like this (laughs) she has been riding the whole time with her legs up, and I'm pulling not only my weight, but her weight. And I'm, I'm just like, you got to be kidding. I thought you loved me, you know. And it, it was terrible. And I, I told her, we will never ride a tandem bike ever again. And so in the last 30 years, we have never done that because she was not helping me. So as we talk about like unity, this is really what this is. It's, it's talking about how to do things together, better together. And so our text today, I'm really going to take bits and pieces from Nehemiah chapters 1 through 6 or 7. And uh, I'd just encourage you on your own, maybe consider, go ahead and start reading uh, Nehemiah. It's a fairly long book in the Bible. I don't know that, I'm not going to do a series on Nehemiah, but there's a lot of stuff that we can learn uh, through this. For the sake of this series over the next five weeks, this is, this is basically the definition that I want to use for unity. So unity is going in the same direction at the same speed, with the same attitude. Now, you're probably not going to find that anywhere else. This is just something that is coming out of me. And this is where I really want to focus this. Because a lot of people, when they think about unity, uh, they think about unity is the absence of disunity. And that's a very basic, very simplistic understanding of unity. I just, you know, as long as nobody's fighting, we're good. That is not unity. It's a component of unity. But I, can I just tell you this? In life, you are going to have disagreements with people. You're going to see things differently. You're, somebody's going to you know, tick you off or you know, you're going to get offended by somebody. The, the buzzword that we're hearing right now in our culture... And if there are any clinical people in the room, I don't mean to offend you. I've offended clinical people before. It's funny that nobody has a problem telling me how to preach. But everybody has a problem with you telling how to do their job. You know? I don't want to offend, but I probably will. There are these buzzwords going around in our culture right now. I'm triggered. That triggers me. That triggers me. Listen. Listen. Can I just say this to you real quick? You need to get a handle on your triggers. I'm not being, I'm not being, listen, I get triggered. But I'm not a clinical psychologist. And I can't understand and even remember what triggers Jim and what triggers Amy and what triggers Brandon and what triggers Zuri and what triggers Brandon and what triggers Shay and what triggers, man, you can't keep up with all of that. It's not my responsibility to keep up with what triggers you. If I know, I'll do my best. But it's your job to overcome your triggers. I'm telling you what, man. Trauma, that word, has been so dumbed down that everything's trauma. Like, listen... You're not talking to somebody who doesn't understand trauma. I understand trauma from verbal abuse. I understand trauma. And I'm not talking about somebody just hurt my peelings. I'm telling you, I was verbally abused as a child. I was sexually abused as a child. I was physically abused as a child. I get trauma, but that's not my identity. I don't tell that story all the time. I do tell it, but when I tell it, it needs to be told in a format that gives God glory at the end of it. But everybody's traumatized right now. Everybody's triggered right now. And that culture, that mindset is out there. And can I just tell you this? We need to learn to get over things. I have heard the term church hurt so much that I am sick of that term. It's not that it's not a real thing, but I'm just telling you, most people's church hurt is because your butt hurt. <laughs> you just get hurt all the time. You just you walk around with a spirit of offense all the time. And it's like, what do you do? And, well, I'm, I'm, I'm going to another church, or I'm do- doing this, and I'm doing this, I'm doing this. Do you do that when your supervisor hurts your peelings? No. Why? And I've said this before. Because when I say you, I'm not talking to you, Betty. Maybe I am if the Lord's trying to send you a message. I'm not talking to you, Valerie. I'm not talking to you, Butch. I'm talking you in a universal sense. And I'm included in the pluralistic you. It's because you worship mammon. The money to cover your bills is more important than the offense that you feel towards a superior. And you don't leave that job, and you don't X, Y, and Z, and you fill in the blanks of the other things. Why? It's because there's a greater value at that job. It's monetary. Or maybe it's benefit. Why is it that we don't do that with the church? That when you're hurt, and you are going to get hurt. You are going to get hurt. When you're hurt that we don't see the greater value of church and community and go, let me fix this because I'm not going to throw the baby out with the bathwater. You're going to get hurt. Say it with me. I'm going to get hurt. My feelings are going to get hurt. I'm going to be misunderstood. I'm going to misunderstand people. All those things are going to happen. All those things are going to happen. All right? So... If they're going to happen, you and I are going to have to learn to work in a world, the church context. You're going to have to learn to work in a world of how to, if that's going to happen, how do we fix that without divorcing each other? We live in a world of rampant divorce. If you've been divorced, I'm not trying to beat you up. When I use the word divorce, I'm talking about cut ties, move on, start over. Cut ties, move on, start over. And we do that in every area of our life. It's a rampant spirit within the church. and We need to say no to that. We na- need to say no to that. I am going to be mature. I'm going to grow in this situation. And as we gathered our volunteers this morning before service, uh, one of the things that Glenna said uh, was, I realized That I had to stop. And I may butcher this a little bit. But the context was. I realized what I was doing. Is I was a consumer. And I was putting the demand on the people. For you to change you for me. Because I'm not changing. And when she realized that she didn't need to just come with this consumer mindset. She realized, I need to stop this and I need to grow and I need to stop putting my junk off on everybody else and I just need to own it and grow from it. Did that get us in the ballpark? All right. So going back to this, unity, that's my spiel through this whole series. I won't do this again. That's my whole spiel about uh, unity being all about the absence of disunity. We know in the scripture that Jesus himself said, a house divided against itself cannot stand. A house that's in division will not be effective. So, man, let's stand together in unity. Um, So say it with me on the screen. Unity is going in the same direction at the same speed, uh, with the same attitude. Just think about that. Think about what we could accomplish, because that's what this whole series is about. Think about it. What could we accomplish as a body of believers if we're all going in the same direction? we got to know what direction that is. At the same speed. And that that doesn't mean like, you know, man, uh, if I'm going at this speed... That I need, like, that I need, hey, y'all need to hurry up and come up here with me. Sometimes it means I need to slow down. Are you following me? Because some people can't run at your pace. And I've learned that. Like, there are some people, uh, I grew up in church that, um, like, during worship, for instance. It, you, the, the worship leader would beat, beat the congregation up if you weren't worshiping. The way that he felt like you should worship. And so, man, I've, I've been in uh, services before. I've done it myself personally because I was just modeling what was taught me. And I'm like, man, you come on, y'all ain't worshiping. You know, you got to get it going or, or whatever. And as I matured in the Lord, I realized I'm going somewhere. I'm going to encounter God. You can come with me or you cannot. And I realized I can get there faster than some people, and I should be able to get there faster than some people. Why? Because we got people at all different levels of their experience or maybe their salvation time length of time. Uh, I've been saved for the majority of my life now, and I've learned this, that it doesn't take me long now to get into, the, uh, in, into a spiritual place. I used to, it used to take me almost to the end of the songs before I was even there. Are anybody identifying with that? It's like, I can't even tell you what songs we sang because like I was trying to get all the stuff out of my mind. Well, I've grown into like, man, just put that down, sacrifice it, all these different things. But everybody's not at the same speed. When we come into this place, we're going to worship. When we come into this place, we're going to study the word. Everybody's at different speeds. But what we do need to do is we do need to come to a same speed. Either I'm going to have to slow down or either I'm going to have to speed up. And I've realized that at different places, I can preach different ways. And I don't mean by method uh, of, of like how... Fiery or anything, but I'm like at some places I have to preach at a more simplistic level, because I'm not trying to to uh, be demeaning or or anything. But the the wor- it's a working class, uh, uh, more trades, and uh, this is going to offend somebody anyway it comes out. But they're not architects, and they don't work at NASA, and they don't like you know they're just people of a of a certain educational level and i've learned in different settings that you can preach to different crowds based on different ways cuz they're they're at different places when we lived in atlanta i found out really quick that i couldn't preach certain ways because i lo- i would lose credibility with people and uh if i were to start preaching like I preached. And don't take this wrong, because I'm a Mississippi boy. I'm worse than Alabama. You know what I'm saying? Alabama's a move up for me. And Georgians think it's a move up if you move there. Everybody thinks their state is better. So when I go uh, there, I realize that, oh, there's some things about the way I talk i got to change. There's some things about my illustrations I have to change. And uh, I don't know if that makes sense to anybody, but when you have neurosurgeons in, in your midst, and, I mean, it's just a more intellectual-type sermon, and really, that's not who I am. I can do that, but that's not my comfort zone. My comfort zone is just like Jesus preached. Most people say uh, theologians say that Jesus preached at a sixth grade level uh, because he knew like he was getting the message out. He wasn't trying to win the Sanhedrin. He wasn't trying to win the in-depth Jewish theologians. It's a message to all people. I remember when my dad got saved, and I'm going to try to get uh, finished with this and move on. I remember when my dad got saved, I came in one day and he was reading his Bible and he was crying and um, I said, Dad, what's wrong? And he said, I can't understand this. He's reading the King James Version. And that was beat into us. If it's not the King James, Paul read the King James, you know. Uh, like, and so he's crying. And he said something that stuck with me like my whole life. And he said, and I try to understand the preacher. And I don't even remember which preacher we had at that time. Uh, This is post the pastor we got saved under. And uh, he said, I try to understand the preacher, but I can't. He uses words I don't understand. And that broke my heart. And I knew that I had the call to the ministry. And this is what I said. I said, I never want to preach in a way that people do not comprehend the love of God if you do that, what, if, what, what good have you done? So it's like, man, just preach a simple gospel message. And I'm not trying to reach uh, the, the neurosurgeons. And I'm not trying to reach down here. You, do, you got to get out there in the middle. And somebody's going to have to come up. You know what I'm saying? Like, it's like, yeah, we're going to use some words from time to time, like sanctification. And if you've never heard that word or whatever, hey, you need to look it up. Like, so you got to come up. And then there are times where there are some folks that are, are like, um, if, if you're one of those people that you're not getting fed at destiny, you know. I'm like, there are times where it's like, you know what? Then you need to come down a little bit in our general. And then while you out there during the week, you just go dig as deep as you can because the word of God is infinite. And you can go as deep as you want. But we ain't got all that time in one setting with everybody at different levels to go as deep as everybody wants to go. Does that make sense? And we, can't, we, we also don't have the time uh, to go as simple as everybody wants to go. All right? So say it with me again. Unity is going in the same direction at the same time uh, at the same speed, with the same attitude. All right, let's say it again because I messed it up. Unity is going in the same direction, at the same speed, with the same attitude. Amen. All right, so let's, let's look over here in Nehemiah chapter 1. Um, as I talk to you about unity today... We're going to look at some, some things in Nehemiah. And I'm probably going to go through different parts of chapter 1 through chapter 6. When you get there, uh, just kind of hang out there. Because we're going to flip back and forth some. But in Nehemiah, it's a great uh, book. I've, it's one of my favorite cha- uh, uh, books of the Bible. Because it talks so much about a huge task. That was insurmountable, but it was accomplished in a very short amount of time. And when I was thinking, uh, the Lord was speaking to me and I was thinking about this. I'm like, you know, what if, what if we were all, if everybody was on board? And we were all going with the same passion, with the same you know, tenacity, strength. You know, we're, we're going with the same perseverance. Like, man, I'm not giving up. I'm going, I'm going, and going. What if we all were, were doing this? We're all in. What could we accomplish as a church? What could we accomplish if everybody was together? And I'm telling you what, when we're all together working together, it's better. We can do so much more. I heard uh, a uh, pastor one time, they were trying to get something done and he said, well man, we can work at this, we can do this at the speed of generosity. And I'm like, hmm, I've never heard that before. At the speed of generosity, we can go as fast as we are generous because they needed money to do whatever it was. And I'm like, wow, okay, I get that. So, in Nehemiah chapter 1, all of chapter 1, are you there? Yeah. So in all of chapter 1, chapter 1 is, it's, it's laying out the problem that you're going to see throughout the book of Nehemiah. And uh, let me just read through this, and then I'll probably pick verses for the rest of it. So these are the memoirs of Nehemiah, son of Hakaliah. In late autumn, in the month of Kislev... In the twelfth year of King Artaxerxes' reign, I was at the fortress of Susa. Hanani, uh, Hanani, one of my brothers, came to visit me with some other men who had just arrived from Judah. So he's he's at uh, Susa, and his brother and some others arrived from Judah. I asked them about the Jews who had returned there from captivity and about how things were going in Jerusalem. And they said to me, things are not going well. For those who return to the province of Judah, they are in great trouble and disgrace. The walls of Jerusalem have been torn down and the gates have been destroyed by fire. And he says, when I heard this, I sat down and I wept. All right, I'm going to stop right there. So what's happening here, the, the church, Israel... Has been in Babylonian captivity, so this is this is at the end. It's kind of post Babylonian captivity. People are headed back to Jerusalem now to Judah. They're 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 uh, migrating back uh, to their homeland, but Nehemiah is the cupbearer to the king Artaxerxes. So, cupbearer. If you you have knowledge of this, bear with me, okay, for the people who don't. The cupbearer is not just a butler. He's not just a servant. This is a person in his highly trusted circle because he's going to taste everything before the king gets it. So if the king is going to be murdered or assassinated through poisoning, Nehemiah's is the one that's going to die first. It's basically his last safeguard before every meal that he tastes or every cup of wine that he has. So it's it's a coveted position and it's a high position and he is constantly with the king. Alright, that's a whole another message right there in itself. He's constantly with the king. Alright, so he stayed there. He's still under the employment of the king and the service of the king, but his brother has already gone back to Judah. He comes back for a visit and he's asking him, so how are things back home? Man, it ain't good. The gangs have taken over the city. Uh, businesses are closed down. The, the economy's terrible. He's given him a terrible uh, view of what's going on. And he's like, man, the city's not fortified. Uh, the walls have been torn down. The The gates have been burned. And man, this grieves him as he hears this. And let's pick up again at verse four. It says that in the, in fact, he said, I, I sat down and wept. In fact, for days I fasted and prayed to the God of heaven. Then I said, O Lord, God of heaven, the great and awesome God who keeps his covenant Of unfailing love with those who love him and obey his commands, listen to my prayer, all right? The verse above that, circle prayed. Circle prayer here, and every time after, circle prayer, okay? Look down and see me praying day and night for your people Israel. He said, I confess that we, I mean, he ain't leaving himself out. He's like, I, have, I confess that we have sinned against you. Yes, even my own family and I have sinned. We have sinned terribly by not obeying your commands, decrees, and regulations that you gave us through your servant, Moses. You know how you can tell somebody who is sincere in their prayer? They own their part. They own their part. Nehemiah is owning his part. He's like man we've sinned and we haven't just sinned a little bit. We've sinned terribly. We have not been obedient people. We have not been living our faith out. Are you hearing me? He's like we have been at a place. This is a personal revival that's taken place in his life. He's like I don't even deserve to come to you and pray to you because I haven't even been living this thing. I've not been living this. My family has not been living this. We have been a terrible example but God you are faithful even to those who are unfaithful and listen, listen to this in verse 8 he says please remember what you told your servant Moses if you are unfaithful to me I will scatter you among the nations but if you return to me and obey my commands uh, and live by them even then if you are exiled to the ends of the earth which they were I will bring you back to the place I have chosen for my name to be honored the people you rescued by your great power and strong hand are your servants. Oh Lord, Hear, please hear my circle prayer. Listen to the circle prayers of those of us who delight in honoring you. Please grant me success today by making the king favorable to me and put into his heart to be kind to me. Now to understand this, what he's saying there is like, the cupbearer is not allowed to speak to the king. Like just because he's with the king, he's a servant. He doesn't get to go in and tell him how his day's going. You don't speak to the king unless you're spoken. So he's 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 grieved over this, and he's contemplating. I, I'm going to say something to the king. I, I'm going to present my need to the king. That's something that they didn't do. As a matter of fact, doing that could have resulted in his beheading. And so he's praying to the Lord five times, I list there, one a little bit further here, six times he goes to God in prayer because this is something beyond what he can do in and of himself. Let's read just a little bit further uh, in chapter two, early the next, uh, early the following spring in the month of Nisan. All right, so look. This happened, and now it's lingered on for months. Y- y'all know, you've had situations. i got situations in my life right now that's been lingering on for years. And I'm like, God, please, I'm having faith that you're going to work it out. I'm looking for the day that I can just check that off my list. So he's been in- enduring this for months. And during the 12th month uh, or-, or during the 20th year of King Artaxerxes' reign, I was serving the king his wine. I had never before appeared sad in his presence. So the king asked me, why are you looking so sad? You don't look sick to me. Uh, You must be deeply troubled. Then I was terrified, but I replied, long live the king. How can I not be sad? For the city where my ancestors are buried is in ruins and the gates have been destroyed by fire. And the king asked, well, how can I help you? And look at this last little part. With a prayer to the God of heavens, I replied. If it please the king, and if you are pleased with me, your servant, send me to Judah to rebuild the city where my ancestors are buried. Let's stop real. I want you to circle that last little prayer because he's like with a prayer. So, so, so what that looks like, I'm assuming, looks like this. Okay, God, here goes. I think that's what that looks like. He's been praying. The king puts him on the spot and it's like, what can I do? He's like, okay, God, here goes. And he says, King, if you're pleased with me. Man, that's a powerful statement. King, if you're pleased with me. Like, what's been happening in his life? He's been serving faithfully. I'm telling you what, when people serve faithfully, when people have have gone out of their way to be obedient, to serve, I'm telling you, there is a, a, a quicker response from those in authority over them. I'm like, man, you served me so great. What can I do to help you? There is an incredible principle there about obedience. He who has been faithful in the little things will be made ruler over much. It's a biblical principle, man. Be faithful, God will reward. And so, not only this, but he's about to ask the king. Some, some big things, and I'm not going to read them for sake of time. But he's about to, read some, uh, uh, to ask the king, and you can go and read them, but he's going to ask the king, he's like, listen, do you mind if I take time off so that I can go back and rebuild the walls? And while you're at it, would you mind writing me some letters? Because I know I'm going to go through some hostile territory, and I want some letters with your stamp on it that says, hey, I'm, I'm going uh, I'm, I'm to go do this, but the king is, is approving this. So, so you can't attack me. You have to let me through here because the king says I can come. And also, if you're pleased with me, you know how I've sacrificed for you, king. Would you write me a letter to, I forget the particular person, but he said, would you write me a letter that I can get timber from him to, be, to rebuild the gates? So not only is, I mean, that's a big ask. He's like, not only is he asking, can I go? Will you let me go? Will you give me official documents? Will you, you know, He's saying, will you pay for it too? Like, He's like, yeah, no, no worries. I want you to look at what God does through the king. Now, we're talking about a pagan king. Come on, man. If God will do, if God will show his generosity through the wealth of the wicked, what will he do through us to the one who owns the cattle on a thousand hills? Like his riches. And and this is is what happens. The king is like, uh, I'm also going to send horsemen with you, and I'm going to send a security detail with you. I'm telling you what? Our God is a God of exceedingly abundantly above all we ask or imagine. Give and it will be given back to you. A good measure pressed down, shaken together and running over. Whatever we ask, there's more on top of that that God is going to provide for us. And so... So chapter one is the problem. Chapter two uh, is, is really Nehemiah. He's going to, he's now in Judah. He's going and he's scoping out the city of Jerusalem and he's seeing how bad it is and it's really bad. The walls uh, have been torn down. Uh, they're in rubble. The gates are, which is the really the holes in a wall. They've all been burned. He's surveyed it, he's looked at it, and now he's coming up with the plan. He's creating a vision. there's a problem, but he's coming up with the vision. And this vision is bigger than he can do by himself. He knows he can't do this by himself. And so he begins to go and share the vision with people. And the scripture says, uh, uh, let me see, uh, wrote it down, Twenty nine, eighteen. Proverbs 29, 18. You know it well if you've been in church for any length of time. That people perish for a lack of vision. People perish, another way you could say, uh, the plan fails for a lack of communication. So he's got to create the vision. He's got to uh, communicate well what's about to happen because I can't be here forever. I got to go back and serve the king. And so I got a short amount of time that I need this done. I really need y'all to get on board. Do we love this city or not? Do we love this city or not? We love it, yes, you know. Do we, listen, listen. Do you love your wife or husband? Do you love your, your, your marriage or not? Do you love your children or not? Do you love your job or not? I'm just telling you, this is a little side. Pause real quick. This is a little side. If you're getting paid from that place, you need to love it. I hate my job. You need to shut your mouth. This is tough. This is the Apostle Paul talking to you right here. You need to shut your mouth and stop cursing the blessing God gave you. There's a number of things going on. You are not being light in that. If you hate it, I'll guarantee you, you are not being salt and light in that environment. If you hate it, I can guarantee you not giving your all. Stop cursing the blessing that God has given you and if you'll be faithful there I promise you God is a liar if he doesn't do it if you'll be faithful there God will take you up out of that place and he'll elevate you if the king is pleased with you That's what you need to focus on. God, be pleased with me. I'm going into a hellish environment today. My boss, I think he hates me. Sometimes I think I hate him. But God, uh, uh, forgive me. Confess your sin to him. Forgive me for feeling that way. God, help me to be light in this situation. And let me be a blessing and go in and do the best I can do. I promise you, God is nothing but a liar if he is not faithful to his word to deliver you out of that. Do the best where you are and watch God elevate you. I promise if you'll do it, he'll he'll change your world. All right? So uh, what's happening here is he goes in and he starts collecting people. All chapter 3, all of chapter 3 is all the different people who are coming together to work on the wall. So all the people who are coming together, they begin to work on the wall. And then, uh, let's see, chapter 4 is when... Uh, all hell breaks loose. You know, I'm trying to do a good thing and rebuild the wall. You ever done something that you thought was positive and people just come out of the woodwork against it? It's like crazy. Like, this is a good idea. It's, it's going to help benefit, blah, blah, blah. Verse uh, Chapter 4, sorry. That whole chapter is about them coming out a, against him. These uh, really kind of two people are spearheading it. Uh, Nehemiah. Uh, he starts addressing in chapter 5 the oppression of the poor and how the, the, the ones who felt like they were elites and they were better than everybody else. Listen, I'm telling you, there, there is in every situation in your life, your marriage, your children, your family, your work, at church, wherever you, in our country, there's always going to be people that feel entitled and, and, it, and it amazes me. I, I get so tickled and irritated at church folks who they'll get politically irritated by people with the spirit of entitlement, but yet they operate in that same spirit of entitlement within the church body. Mm. 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 Judge not lest you be judged with the same standard that you judge. For you will be judged by the same standard that you judge others. And I'm like, man, it's okay to judge. You better be willing to to stand up to that judgment. And so in chapter 6, we get to the... uh, uh, They're almost to the completing of the wall, but there's more opposition. And then getting down into the end of chapter 6 and chapter 7, they complete the wall. And so... I want to just go through this real quick with you. All right. When we're unified in our vision, it'll take you farther, faster, with fewer distractions. I want you to let that sink in real quick. When when we are unified in our vision, in our marriage, that's why marriages break down irreconcilable differences. We cannot reconcile, so they break down. If you can be Uh, unified in the way that you're doing your children. I heard recently, you know, well the parents are diff- on different pages, you know, uh, with, with when it comes to the children. Uh, I've heard people on different sides financially. You know, you've been in church where there people are on different sides. You've been, you've seen it at work. You've seen it in our country. A unified vision will take us farther, faster. With fewer distractions. When we are not unified. When we're not going in the same direction. At the same speed. With the same attitude. It slows us down. Doesn't mean we can't get there. But it slows us down. I'm looking for some people. That I'm telling you man. If you'll just get unified. If you'll get unified. If you'll. Uh, I, I, I'm, I'm going to use Glennon. Because she's one of my. Uh, friends. I know I can pick on her. Glenna and I are not in disunity when it comes to, um, you know, us fighting. But if I'm trying to get something accomplished and she's on a team that I lead and Glenna keeps showing up unprepared, what are you doing? Is that in unity? That's not in unity but she ain't mad at me. She's not leaving the church. Are Are we in disunity? Yes. Yes, we are not unified. But she ain't mad at me. See, I need for you to get out of your mind that people are mad at each other when they're in disunity. No, we can just not be doing what we're supposed to be doing and it is affecting how fast we can go. It's affecting how far we can go. You are sitting on the second seat of the tandem bike while I'm rowing, and you're back there doing something totally different. So, put your feet on the pedal, Shay. (laughs) Unified vision will take you farther faster with fewer distractions. When we're unified, when we're unified, remember at the very beginning of this, I said distractions are gonna come, hurts gonna come, misunderstandings are gonna come. But when you're unified, when they show up, when you're unified, they stick out like a sore thumb. So instead of giving that a table, Let's sit down. Let's have a glass of wine and discuss this and giving place to this. Does that line up with where we're headed, where we're going? In my marriage? In my kids? Whatever's going on? Listen, I've had people to talk to me about their marriage. And I've said to them, you're getting advice from the wrong people. You're getting advice from the wrong people. Those people's vision is not for a healthy marriage. Those people's vision is for you to be happy. Listen to me, church. Those people's vision are to keep you happy. I'm just telling you, there have been so many times I've not been happy in my, fam- in my family. I've not been happy in my marriage. I've not been happy with Shay and I've been dead wrong. I've been dead wrong. I don't know if I shared this with you guys uh, recently, but I was watching this, uh, this video and the guy said he noticed, if, if I've said this, all right, just go with it, all right? I'm getting to that age. I'm getting to that age, <laughs> all right? I'll get back to it. So, I was watching this video, and this guy was talking about, he noticed in his marriage with his wife that when they would fight, she would go off, and she would come back, and she'd start giving him the cold shoulder. And she'd start treating him differently, just kind of rude and harsh, that that was totally anti-house she. And so, he asked her, he said, so, when you go and you talk, to people, He said, because, you know, we're going to talk to people. He said, who, who do you talk to? And she named off her group of friends. All right. And he said, what do they tell you? Like, we're just being honest. What do they tell you? And they're like, they, they're telling me, like, you got to do this. You got to make him do this. You got to. And. And it's like they're telling me, like, I'm right. And, you know, you need to change. And he said, they, who do they take up for? They take up for me. It's my posse. They're taking up for me. And he said, let me tell you who I go to. I go to my dad. I go to my brother. And I go to one of my best friends. And you know who they take up for? You, every time. They they don't take up for me. They take up for you. Your friends are taking up for you. My my friends are taking up for you. Because they're telling me, hey, you need to preserve what you got. You need to change these things and you need to go back. You need to take, take care of her and blah, 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 all these things. So what am I telling you? Why am I taking this time to talk to you about that? Like when, when you find in different places where you're in disunity with something, something's out of, out of whack, you need to understand who you surround yourself with and giving you vision is very important to the unity of your family. You don't need people to look out for your best interest. You need for people to be looking out for what is right. I I was having a conversation on Friday night. And I said to one of the people who speaks into my life regularly. I said to him, I do not want you to take my side ever. I do not want you to defend me what I do want you to do is I want you to defend righteousness. And if I fall within the circle of righteousness, so be it. And if I fall outside of the circle of righteousness, then I fall into alignment and I get corrected. That's what keeps us in unity. That's what keeps the house protected. And that house could be your place of business, it could be your family, it could be our church. Because when we're unified, we will go farther faster with fewer distractions. The greatest weapon against the church, in my opinion, it doesn't say this anywhere in the Bible, we know the greatest weapon is division, but there's so many ways that he can do that. Offense is one of the key ways and tactics of division. Let me go through these real quick. A united vision... Uh, and if you want to come, Melissa, I'm fixing to close this out. A united vision will have these these things in common. If we're going to go farther, faster, with fewer distractions, if we're going to go in the same direction, at the same speed, with the same attitude, <laughs> wow that's a big one, the last one, the same attitude. If, we, if I had a pill that could change attitudes, man, we'd make millions of billions of dollars, wouldn't we? A unified vision, number one, it's got to come from God. And it's got to come through prayer. Seven times when Nehemiah had an issue, seven times the issue was the rebuilding. He went to God in prayer. Not only did he go to God in prayer at the very beginning, but all throughout Nehemiah, you'll find he went and prayed. He went and prayed. He went and prayed. So a unified vision comes from God and it comes uh, from prayer. Can I tell you, we use prayer as a religious word, but you understand Satanists, they pray, right? You understand that, right? They're praying, they're communicating. They're making decrees, just like you and I make decrees. Just like we make declarations, so do they. They're called curses. We've got to be careful. Like, when we go to God in prayer, we got to be careful. I never heard this term, but I heard a guy one time say, you know, my prayer team, they were operating basically in white witchcraft. I'd never heard that before. And I said, what does that even mean? And he said, <clears throat> so they come in. They're like, God, bless our pastor. Bless our pastor, Lord. Open his eyes and let him see, you know, how wrong he is, God. Oh, wow. Okay. You know what? The pastor could have been totally wrong. But that's not what prayer is. That's not what prayer is. God, he's ruining our church. God, he's da-da-da-da. What they're doing is praying uh, really against what the pastor's doing a vision has to come from God gotta come through prayer well I ain't prayed with you, that's probably the problem how do I know what God spoke to you? I don't there's there's so many problems with that why haven't you prayed? Why, why aren't you in alignment with this? Man, I could really get off on a soapbox on that. Um, Well, how do I know if the Lord's speaking to you? How how many years have you known me, Butch, Valerie, Jackie, not a whole long time. So the jury's still out with you, but not these guys. I mean, if the jury's out with y'all, dude, something's wrong, like, man you've been up close you spend you spend it several hours with me every week every week you know my strengths my weaknesses you know the things that ir- irritate me about you and I know the same about you I, don't tell the people what they are okay <laughs> but aren't there some things about me that irritate you just be honest don't lie in church aren't there some things in, in, you, <clears throat> in me that might rub you the wrong way And vice versa, but you know what? We know each other. We spend time together, and we're unified. I was talking to somebody about you this week, Butch, and I said, I said, uh, if I were to pick the phone up right now and call Butch, I said, uh, he, I know if it were in his ability, he would say, "I'll be there in 20 minutes," or "How soon do you need it?" Because we're unified. You understand? Not perfect. I'm not perfect. He's not perfect. There have been times when Butch has irritated me. The daylights out of me. And I know, Butch, I can, I can give you an example. Uh, I'm not going to, but I know I've irritated you. I know I have, bro, bro. What am I doing? What am I doing? I'm giving you a real life example about how two people... That could irritate each other are in such unity and community. There it is. If God could do it through him and me, he can do it through anybody. So it's got to come from through, through God and through prayer. When we pray together, when we're in relationship with other, uh, with each other, I can tell, uh, and I'm just using you as an example. I could tell Butch, man, this is what the Lord spoke to me. He doesn't go, What I don't know about that. I'm going to have to go pray about it myself. No, because we already spend time together. He's in prayer groups that I'm a part of, mentoring groups that I'm a part of. He knows just based upon relationship. Second thing is this. Unified vision comes through a servant leader. Nehemiah is a servant. <clears throat> Not only is he a servant in his position, but he is a servant. When he goes to start uh, rebuilding the walls, guess what Nehemiah's got in his hand? He's, he's got a spade and he's, you know, putting plaster up and putting rocks in place. He's in the trenches with the people, he's doing it with the people. He is a servant leader. He's not above the people, positionally, he is, but he's not so far above the people that he doesn't get in the trenches with them. I'm telling you what. You follow a servant leader. I know I'm a servant leader. I don't need anybody to tell me I'm a servant leader. It is just a fact. I'm going to serve. And the reason I serve is you'll never be more like Jesus than when you're a servant. Jesus said, I came to serve, not to be served. So a servant leader, somebody who gets in there, who works, well, I I don't like this and I'm not happy with, you know, listen to me, church family. This is disunity. I don't like that. I don't, you know, I'm just not going to be a part of that because I don't like it or I don't like this. No, do it anyway because you need to kill that spirit that says I'm only going to do it if I like it. Because if you don't kill that spirit, it will get into every single fiber of what you do. I'm not given to that cause. I just I don't I don't agree with it. I don't believe in it. Do you believe in me? Do you believe in me as a leader? Then just give to it. Just be unified with the vision of the house. Because if you trust me, you'll know that that's been You know, gone through with prayer and petition and, you know, carrying it before the Lord. I'm just not gonna sing that song because I don't like it. Are you gonna rob God of worship because you don't like the song? Put your hands in the air regardless, because you're not worshiping the song and you're not here as a consumer, like Glenna said. You're here because I'm worshiping my great and mighty God. And I'm going to worship you. I hope this song is over soon. (laughs) But I'm going to worship you through this. Listen, if you can't worship him through a song that you don't like, I guarantee you can't worship him through a season that that you hate. In the valley, you will not be worshiping him there if you can't even worship him through a song you don't like. Kill that spirit that says i'm not going to do this no you just be a servant you just be a servant the third thing is this is that you're going to face opposition you're going to face opposition whether it's in your family, whether it's in your marriage, wherever you have relationship and there's a vision for something. If it's a business that you're trying to start, you are going to face opposition. Things are going to come up and the enemy is going to try to get you discouraged. When we look at this, we look at uh, chapter 6 and we have two people, Sanballat and Tobias. And these two people are a royal pain in his derriere throughout the entire rebuilding of the walls. They constantly, they are tearing down him, his reputation. They are constantly, you know, tearing down the leader. They are constantly tearing down the vision, mocking the vision. Uh, and then, not only that, it gets, it escalates to the point where. Listen, we've been, we're done talking. Now I'm fixing to kill you. We're fixing to launch an attack. And they had, you know, made plans to take troops. And they were going to go in and they were going to start killing people. Well, listen, you might not ever get killed, but people attack your integrity. They will assassinate your character. They will assassinate the vision that you have for your family. They'll try to get you to see your way and, and not, you know, anybody else's way. Not your wife's way, your husband's way. They're, they're, they just want to see the walls not be rebuilt. I'm telling you what, man. You take a problem to somebody, you, those people need to help you rebuild the walls. Not to walk away from the walls not to leave the walls where they are or not to just go ahead and knock the rest at what's left. So you're going to face opposition. When you face opposition, guys, man, I got to hurry up. When you face opposition, you got to understand, go read it for yourself. But old Tobias, and Sandballad, here they come. They're coming with their peace flag. They're coming with their, with their little white flag. And they're like, we'd love to have a meeting with you. We'd love to sit down and meet with you. You know what? In our world, we do. We're like, okay, I'll come down. I'll come down. I'll come down. I'll meet with you. I'll take time out of my day. I'll take time out of this or that or the other or whatever. If you look at Nehemiah, he's like, listen, I don't have time to come down from the wall. The work that I'm doing is very important. I've seen your actions. All right, you know what the enemy will do? He'll, well, how graceful is that? How graceful is that? How loving is that? Now, if you really were loving the Lord, uh, you see where I'm going with it? Dude, the enemy will use Scripture. When Jesus was in the wilderness, he was like, I'm telling you, you, throw yourself down right now. He didn't care about the truth of the word. What he cared about is the temptation of Christ to get him to go against God and follow his vision, the enemy's vision. Dude, I'm telling you what. There are times in your life where this sounds harsh. You are going to have to cut tides and you're going to have to move on because you, you did meet Remember that time you met, and you're right back here. Remember that other time you met, and you're right back here. Remember that other time you met, and you're right back here. Remember that other time that you met, and you're right back here. I'm not making things up. And it's like, there comes a time. What did Jesus say when you go into a city? Preach the kingdom preach love, if they don't receive it there does have, I mean it, it needs to be a last resort but there does come a time where it's like, listen, I need to shake the dust off and I gotta move on to receptive, alright so you're gonna face opposition it's a part of life do everything you can to reconcile do everything you can for restoration do everything you can to To make it right. Do everything you can to present yourself humble and forgiving. Ask for forgiveness and make confession a big part. When you see that that is not reciprocated, that's a huge sign for my, my church family. When you see that that's not reciprocated, that's a huge sign that that person has been turned over pretty much to a reprobate mind, which is scriptural, but it's talking about salvation. But pretty much they've been turned over to their ways. And if God cannot work through all of that, they just have to go do their thing, all right? And I'm talking about in any relationship that you go through, all right? So a unified vision is a result of team effort. If you read down through, what, what was it? Uh, chapter three. Read down through chapter three. I'm going to read a couple of verses just because I want to give you a cross section. In verse eight, it said, it, it, so it's going down and it's like, so on this part of the wall, here, this person was working. And on this part of the wall, these people were working. And so it comes down to this. And he says, next, Uziel, son of uh, Harahiah, a goldsmith. So there, here's a jeweler somebody who puts, uh, sets diamonds and gold. He was a jeweler by trade. He worked on the wall. And beyond him, Hananiah, a manufacturer of perfumes, this guy, you know, owns Sephora. He's got his own, you know, uh, perfume store. And then uh, it goes down in verse 9 and it says, Raphael, son of Hur, the leader of half the district of Jerusalem was next to them on the wall. What, what am I saying? He's just going down and he's like, man, they were unified. Everybody is like, man, I love y'all, but I'm just gonna give y'all some money, okay? I ain't got time for all that, but I will give y'all a sizable, chunky donation to accomplish it. No, the leader of half of Judah was there beside the perfume store owner, beside the, well, it doesn't even say he's a perfume store owner, It says he just makes the perfume for probably the store owner. And then beside him is the guy who does uh, whatever his job was. So you got people of all sorts. And it's like, I'm telling you, when we come together in unity, God will take all of us with all of our different gifts and talents and we'll go farther faster. We have the vision and we're unified in the vision. When we're bought into it, we'll go with fewer distractions. Uh, This is the last thing. It gives God all of the glory. All of the glory. This is going to minister to somebody. If it doesn't, it ministers to me. In um, verse 15 of chapter 6. So on October uh, 2nd, the wall was finished. Just 52 days after we had begun. When our... All right, 52 days. Unity takes you farther, faster. Just 52 days after they started this mammoth project, it was done. And when our enemies and the surrounding nations heard about it, they were frightened and humiliated. They realized this work had been done with the help of our God. Listen to this. There are people that have not been in unity with you there are people in your families, there are people at your work, there have been people in the church body that they've not been in unity with you. Listen, we can't worry about those people. We worry about ourselves. We worry about us. We worry about our part. We worry about what part we played in anything. We confess our faults as Nehemiah did. We own up to what we had. We take and we lead the cause ourselves. And in the end, in the end, God will be glorified and people will look and go I was wrong, I was wrong, I was wrong. It really was God, it was God. And we don't do it from some spirit of mmm in your face, no. That's as carnal and demonic as anything, no. Christ be magnified. It's all about Him. It's all about God getting the glory. None of us are here to get the glory. It's all about giving God, our God, the glory. So I pray during this series what God will do for you. His God will bring all of us into such a place of unity that when those little things do happen, when you get triggered, when all of this happens, God will grow us to the point where it's like, you know what? That's nothing but a distraction. Let's not let that distraction keep us off focus from what God has called us to do and make an impact in our community and in this region. Listen to me. Oh, my time's gone and I got to be fast. Fast. I wish everybody thought that way, girl. Listen to me. We have been born into the last day harvest. And we look at the harvest as, you know, the first century church. Like, listen, I'm just here to tell you those guys, that great cloud of witnesses that is in Hebrews, what, chapter 11, that are looking down at us, don't you wish that they weren't on the bench? They're like, oh my gosh, oh my gosh, oh my gosh. If I could have been, why why didn't you let me be born in this time? They served a purpose, man. But you and I have been born in the end time. We are born in the end time. You and I are uh, equipped to bring in the last day, the greatest harvest that the earth has ever seen you and I have been born in this time. God chose us to be born in this time. So we do not have time for distractions. If we'll get that in our mind, like, dude, there is a work for us to do. Think of what God can and is going to do through his unified church. Over the next four weeks, we're going to be talking more about what the unity looks like. And I pray God does something supernatural through Destiny Church that he hasn't done in the previous 16 years that we've existed. I pray a supernatural, stand to your feet with me. I pray a supernatural unity comes across this body that people are going to begin to say, you know what, Pastor Rife? I didn't even realize I wasn't in unity. I'm not mad at anybody. I'm, I don't have... Any issues? I just realized I hadn't been in unity, and I'm fixing to get in unity. And God is fixing to do some amazing things, and we're going to see manifest glory out of it. We're going to see miracles out of it. We're going to see stuff happening. All right, look at this. Say it with me, and then I'm going to read off uh, the the two activate and applies. Say this with me: Unified vision will take me farther, faster, with fewer distractions. How can I put this into action, Pastor Rife? I want you to ask yourself this. Don't think I'm not asking myself. I already preached this message to myself five times this week. So I already did this stuff. Do I take directions well? Am I obedient? Meaning, am I compliant? Am I cooperative? When somebody asks me to do something, does something rise up in me and go like, Ugh. is my language, my body language... My my verbal language, is it supportive of what God is doing in your family, in your business, the business that employs you? Like, think about those things. Because if not, you're in disunity. The second thing is this. Confess or repent to your spouse, to your supervisor, or to a spiritual advisor where you have not been in unity. if if you've not been in unity in your family you and your husband or wife y'all need to go have a talk and get in unity man and start watching God flourish in your marriage and in your family if you've not been in, in unity with your supervisor where you work he might not even or she might not even know it but it's like you know I'm sorry I've been clocking in late for the last three weeks I've been clocking out early for the last whatever. You know what? Uh, I've just, you know, have hated that new thing that was put into effect. And, you know, honestly, I just hadn't been doing it. What did Nehemiah do? He confessed his part in it. Go confess. It's, a, it's an important part of repentance and watch God begin to flourish in